Hello, and welcome to the first podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. The January 2011 issue of IEAM features a special series of six review articles that focus on the tissue residue approach. With me today is the guest editor of the series, Dr. Jim Metter. Jim is a research fishery biologist with NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and he works out of the Northwest Fisheries Science Center in Seattle, Washington. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Jenny, thanks for inviting me to participate. I'm really honored to be selected for your first podcast. Oh, thank you. We're, we're so glad you could make time for us today. Why don't we go ahead and start? We have a small list of questions. And the first question is, what is the tissue residue approach? Well, Jenny, the tissue residue approach for toxicity assessment, or um, what we often call tissue residue effect approach, is simply the process of utilizing uh, tissue concentrations as a dose metric for toxicity assessment. And in standard toxicity testing, we assume that the exposure concentration in water, sediment, or diet essentially is uh, proportional to the whole body tissue concentration, which in turn is proportional to the concentration in the organ, and that in turn is proportional to the concentration at the receptor, the receptor being an enzyme, membrane, uh, other type of protein, DNA, et cetera. Uh, by eliminating the external exposure concentration, the tissue residue approach thus gets it uh, much closer to the site of action. Another important aspect of the TRA is we're just considering the, the uh, acquired dose. In other words, that concentration in the animal that's associated with toxic effects. This is distinguished from the administered dose, which is the amount uh, given to an organism, such as uh, what's ingested or injected, et cetera. Another level of that, of the administered dose, is just the exposure concentration, in other words, water, soil, sediment, prey concentrations, et cetera, that um, are associated with toxic effects. There are a large number of factors, such as uh, metabolism, bioavailability, uh, the rates of uptake and elimination that can affect the correlation between the administered dose and, and the toxic effects. So by reducing the number of factors that control the dose, we gain a much better resolution for characterizing the um, chemical's toxic effect. Okay. <laughs> can you tell us about some of the key advantages of the approach? Yeah, there's a large number of advantages for this. So I'll, I'll go through a, a list here briefly and, and, and mention a little bit about each one. The biggest advantage is that the tissue residue-based toxicity metrics are often reduce the variability in um, the, the metrics themselves by orders of magnitude for, um, for some of the environmental contaminants, especially when compared to the same metrics based on exposure concentrations, such as water and sediment, et cetera. Uh, this is highly advantageous when um, comparing toxicity metrics among species. And as a result, the species sensitivity distributions are really statistically more robust, which helps when you're calculating a low percentile like the uh, fifth percentile. Another important advantage is that for some toxicants, we can reduce toxicity testing after just a handful of species because the results are really quite consistent. Um, that's you know, reducing the number of toxicity tests that need to be conducted to find the most sensitive species is, I think, very appealing. Another group of advantages include um, assessing mixtures of toxicants. By eliminating the large variability that determines the bioavailable concentration, we can really focus on the potency aspect that multiple chemicals contribute to the toxic response. Another is the, the tissue residue toxicity uh, metrics are far less affected by time, and in some cases can be time independent. 
For example, the variability in LC50s based on water concentrations are quite variable for different exposure periods, which makes it much more difficult to uh, compare. Thus, you can think of the TRA really helps reduce that variability by a, a large amount. Um, another major factor is the bioavailability of the contaminant. In other words, that fraction of the total contaminant concentration is available for uptake, uh, which could have a massive influence on toxicity when expressed as a water sediment or soil concentration. With the TROA, we can ignore this variability and just focus on the differences among species due to the bioaccumulated fraction and toxic potency. The TRA also provides scientifically defensible approach for um, water, tissue, and sediment uh, quality guidelines and criteria. This is a complex topic, and it would really take some time to explain. So briefly, I'll, I'll just say that it's the process of determining adverse tissue concentrations for toxicant and then back calculating to, uh, with using bioaccumulation factors to uh, get water and sediment concentrations. Ideally, we'd like to see guidelines and criteria in terms of the tissue concentration itself when warranted. However, we realize translating uh, to water and sediment is often necessary for uh, regulatory actions. The TRA is also appropriate for pulse exposures because the organism is integrating exposure concentrations in its tissue over time and space, and we can get a much better sense of how close it is to a toxic response. And the advantage there is you can avoid calculating or modeling exposure concentrations, really, that vary over time and space. Another big advantage, as I see it, is evaluation of organisms in the field, the ability to go into the field, sample species, and know if their tissue concentrations are approaching toxic levels. Given you know the large amount of variability in water and sediment concentrations, this approach should be far more informative and accurate. Uh, related to that, I think, is forensic analysis. You know, Often we have dead birds or fish in hand, so analyzing their tissues and comparing those values to a database may tell you what caused their demise. And also very importantly is you can rule out certain toxicants, which kind of helps alleviate the uncertainty. And finally, I think ecological risk assessment, natural resource damage assessment is obvious extension for the TRA, especially uh, when trying to demonstrate impacts or uh, injury. And I should say, you know, it, there are some numerous disadvantages. These include like, the evaluation of highly metabolized compounds like polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, uh, reactive compounds, mutagens. You just can't apply the TRA to those particular compounds. And it's also problematic with metals, especially for invertebrates, which are uh, very good at retaining metals but detoxifying them internally. The problem is that proportionality between the whole body and receptor concentration fails, so you really can't use the TRA effectively in that case. But with all of the advantages that you mentioned, you present a very compelling case for adopting the tissue residue approach. <laughs> and following on along those lines, how do you envision approach being used and by who? Really, we envision the tissue residue approach being used by anyone who's concerned with the effects of environmental toxicants. And this includes scientists conducting basic research, regulators who are under statutory requirement to protect species, and risk assessors who conduct the scientific assessments to determine predict harm. One example is the US EPA at the national level, which is really interested in the TRA approach for criterion and ecological risk assessment. They're continuing to evaluate this approach. The TRA has actually been prominent in at least two of their science advisory panels, and they're still um, exploring it and debating it. Uh, an important note here is that the, um, also the US EPA has issued a draft aquatic life criterion for selenium, which is based on tissue concentrations to protect against uh, chronic effects, or life stage uh, chronic effects. 
So I think, you know, over the long term, we really, I expect to see additional um, tissue-based criteria guidelines as, as we investigate more chemicals. Sure. So the next question is, how has the tissue residue approach improved on past practices? What particular things were improved? Well, for some chemicals, tissue residue approach is a big improvement over the practice of characterizing toxicity based on sediment, soil, water, dietary, etc. Many of the advantages mentioned earlier kind of speak to that directly. I should say we're not advocating for the, um, the tissue residue approach to replace exposure assessment because most of these approaches are really needed for a complete assessment. I think that point is clearly made in the Sappington and all article on risk assessment in the, in the current issue of IAM. And the way we see it, the TRA is just one more important tool that will be quite useful under uh, cer certain circumstances. Um, as for improvement, I think the um, tissue residue approach has given us a greater appreciation for the differences we see in toxic responses among different species and uh, chemicals. I think this is true especially with regard to toxic potency. You know, when we eliminate the large variability in toxic responses due to the bioavailability of the, of the contaminant, we can really see much more clearly the effects of toxicants on different taxon, you know, based on how much they bioaccumulate. And I also think the TRA has and will in the future um, improve our ability to assess mixtures, pulse exposures, chemical spills, and, and some of the other things I, I, you know, I mentioned earlier. A final point here is I think the TRA enhances our ability to, to focus on causal responses. To me, the tissue residue approach is a, is a more direct way for developing dose-response relationships because of the reduction of the confounding factors you have with bioavailability. Thank you, Tim.